Hello, and welcome to the Vancouver Comic Arts Festival podcast. VanCAF is dedicated to celebrating comics creators and comics in all of its forms. Our festival takes place on the stolen, ancestral, and traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. We are grateful to live and create here. We hope you enjoy today's episode, and if you'd like to learn more, head to vancaf.com. On this episode, writer Andrea Warner talks to artist Shira Spector about her new book, Red Rock Baby Candy, out now from Fantagraphics. So I, I'm really, I don't know if the, like, like your, your, your book has hit me on so many levels and in so many different ways. And I think it's, you know, beautiful and devastating and joyful. And I just, I think of it as very disruptive of so many things like traditional comic form and memoir and the idea of grief and time as linear things and silence around infertility, pregnancy loss, particularly in the queer community. Um, and I want to kind of talk about all those things, if that's okay. Yes, I love that the um, first thing you think of is disruption, because that's that's very true. Well, yeah, it it's it. I mean, the moment I like looked at the first page, I was just like, I do not know what I'm in for, uh-huh. and I love, I love going into a book like that. Yeah, 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 and I think the experiences I was talking about really mirror that feeling, like just going through so many intersections of grief and joy and and plenty and and also scarcity it felt like that like it felt like I didn't know what was going to happen next either (laughs) that kind of beautiful disorientation that like living really feels like I've been thinking a lot about fragments and about how attracted I am to the idea of fragmentation and how how even just being a parent sort of makes you experience life in this very different way like the idea of living without interruption seems like kind of foreign to me and so I think that's part of why the book is constructed the way it is that makes so much sense and I and I mean I also think that that's a much more I think it's so much better to sort of like embrace the chaos Mm -hmm. than resist it you know like absolutely (laughs) like what do we what do we get from trying to like conform to any kind of linear or like, you know, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Agreed. I think it makes an intrinsic sense to me as well to sort of, I mean, I I come from a quilting background and that was really how I constructed the book was, you know, I, I wasn't really sure that I could do this long form storytelling thing. I hoped I could, but I did know how to make a quilt and I did know about juxtaposition and about, you know, making patches that you put next to other patches. And that's how I worked the whole thing. And I think, yeah, there's a real value to linear storytelling. I mean, there's so many kinds of ways to tell a story. And especially in places like graphic, um, not graphic memoir, graphic medicine, I I did notice that there was a lot of um, really linear storytelling, very like, this is the story of what happened, and then this happened, and then that happened in this chronological order. And that had a lot of value to me going through medicalized situations. But I was really interested in like, mm-hmm. what about if you, like, what if you mess things up, and you don't feel compelled to tell people, you know, the linear story of what happened? What if you, what if you get all fantastical, like the luxury of bringing the fantastical and magical realism, and poetry and, and things that aren't supposed to be there, like actual pairs of underwear. Like what, what if you just threw that all, you know, at a graphic uh, medicine 
narrative. Like, what would happen then? So it is like my science yeah. experiment in a lot of ways. You know, that makes a lot of sense because, and I do think about that with, with regards to writing. Like I always, I do believe that you need to like understand the, the principles of a lot of different ideas around writing and structure and grammar, all those, you have to know those things in order to rearrange them so that they make sense to you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, and, and I feel like you have to sort of, you, you do, there is a respect for like the linear structure, but, and you have to appreciate that linear structure to to reassemble it in this like sort of, um, you know, multidimensional way that you have in the book. Yeah. And I think also just about what you're wanting to communicate and how, like how things change if you tell a story backwards or upside down, or if you shift something over. So it was all very deliberate. Like I was aware that I wasn't doing it in in the traditional way that you were supposed to, but sometimes that awareness that like, you know, it was brought to my attention by my really good friend Sophie, who's actually in the book, that um, comics are made a certain way and that there are these things called panels. And I literally was like, oh, okay. And she's like, you know, you might just want to grapple with that and see what happens. And that <laughs> limitation sort of became something I played with. Like, I, I, I feel it was really gymnastic. It was like having bars that I could swing yeah. on and, and push around. And I just didn't stay contained inside of where it was supposed to be, which is sort of how I live, really, most of the time at my best. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I do I I've sensed that. Like, I mean, I do think that you know, I remember like being in college and the um uh one of our one of our professors said, Okay, you can do anything you want for your final project. As long as it's creative, I don't care what it is. And like half the class was just like freed by this you know, sort of like their imagination. And the other half of the class spent weeks, each and every week, one or two or three students would be in full crisis yeah. mode because that was just too much to grapple with. And I don't believe the world is like, there are binaries in any sort of, any sort of structure, but like, it was so interesting to me to watch people, you know, I viewed it as like being given you know, we could do anything we wanted. This is amazing. And other people were just so um, stymied by that. And I, I, I really felt like, oh, okay, I understand a little bit more about humanity now. Um, and how, you know, what our differences are as people. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> just... for sure. Yeah. Freedom scares people. <laughs> it really does. And I guess me as well. I mean, I found the limitations helpful, because they gave me something to push against. And I imposed limitations all through the book, like I at the beginning, I was going to say, like I told you, but I haven't actually spoken to you yet. <laughs> it all runs together. Um, yeah. No, no, we've been talking forever. forever. You just haven't exactly. known. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I started the book in black and white because I was concerned about the cost of, at the time, because I started 11 years ago, um, I read somewhere that it's hard to get published if you work in black and white and you're unknown. And so I was like, well, I better not use any color then. And then I was, you know, a couple more years in, I was like, well, maybe if I just use a couple of colors. And so that limitation really forced it to be really deliberate, um, the choices I made Mm -hmm. around when I used color and how I used it. And then eventually, around the time when color became less expensive, I just couldn't take it anymore. And then the book really sort of has that um, explosive quality because I was feeling it. I was so starved for the ways color could be expressive. But I learned a lot about black and white and about 
the color that is in black and white and gray. And mm. I'm, I'm really happy for those limitations that I accidentally imposed on myself. So, yeah. But yeah. That's so, that's so cool. Yeah. But freedom can be scary. I've, I've worked with kids a lot and I, I had to learn that if you just, like, I just wanted to be like the magical birthday party clown of art that was telling them <laughs> they could do whatever they want. Like, you're free, kids, you're free. And they'd become terrified. What do you mean? You know, what? Yeah. What the hell? So I had to, like, learn to actually give some parameters or some prompts or something for people to push against, right? It's interesting. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense quilting I've always thought of and I mean I'm not personally a quilter mm-hmm. I am not very good at um anything like that but um I've always really appreciated it and I know like uh friends of mine um who quilts and they talk a lot about uh the the mathematics of it and the creativity within math and how it sort of again disrupts this idea of like your right brain or left brain and like this is quilting is really where Quilting and music, I think, are the two places where that that line is completely dissolves. Um, And so I'm so curious about like your your quilting brain and seeing how that manifests on the page um, in so many different ways. Like, can you tell me a little bit about like where your where your like love of quilting and fiber arts came from? First of all, I'm laughing because I also mess with quilting (laughs) when I was doing fiber work. (laughs) I was really messing with that. I, I'm incapable. I am so not straight in any way. I'm incapable of straight lines. And my quilts were never mathematically perfect. I never aimed for that. I embraced my wonky, bizarre messes of, of fabric right away from the beginning. And I was also messing with quilting because they were nar- my quilts were narrative. And I had this thing where I felt like if my work wasn't on fabric, my drawings weren't on fabric, they weren't real. So in order for them to become real, I had to have them on fabric and then I would interface with them in that capacity. So I would embellish them with sequins and, you know, cut through them and do reverse applique, which is essentially what I'm doing now on paper. Um, so yeah, I, I was already kind of screwing with quilting. They were political, they were queer, they were narrative. Um, I used strange materials at the time. Like I dared to use fun fur in 1996, you know, purple fun fur on a quilt was like really (laughs) radical. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so, yeah so I, I do not possess the, I, I have seen some beautiful precise quilt work and I, I stand in awe I, I think I have my own kind of math and same with music and I think music and quilting um, music and art are so intrinsically connected I almost don't see a difference there's so much about syncopation and rhythm and I mean jazz jazz is quilting oh my god for sure right absolutely right yeah. <laughs> not debatable yeah i once went to a workshop called our comics music and i was like what's the question of course they're music how else are they anything but music (laughs) but i have um i am tone deaf and i'm not musical i i'm i'm you know technically not musical but i love music and i appreciate music and so i think i have my own sort of math and my own music and my own (laughs) my own sense of that but back to your question about textiles um I've all I mean they're everywhere they're part of everything we do it's the very first thing that happens to us is we're wrapped in cloth and pattern you know growing up I, I was born in 1968 so that was a time of I think quite a bit of like explosive floral patterning that sort of seared itself into my brain and my being um so I, I you know and I love clothing I love expressive dressing I love color I love texture I love my 
body and how I can put those things on my body. So all of that kind of winds together for me. And I just thought, you know, why not bring that to paper? I mean, again, it was a limitation. It was, I was out of school. I had lost all the access to all the fancy silk screening equipment. I didn't have very much money. We had a small apartment. We still have that small apartment. Um, so I had a kid messing with my stuff. <laughs> so I had to find a way to contain myself in, in a sphere that was workable and that, you know, I could pick up and put down the same way that I would deal, the, the way you would deal with sewing, where you can just put it away and then pick it up later. That's how I worked this book. So yeah, I, I, I tend to just mess things up. Yeah. Like I just don't stay where I'm supposed to. Well, you know, I'm thinking of like that approach to quilting. I just, I was thinking about like how much like, and you just talked about the the florals being sort of um, part of your life from childhood. And like, obviously there's, you know, a, a lot of floral imagery throughout the book. And you talk about the botany of grief um, is one of the lines uh, of text. And, um, and, and even just like, I think like, gardening is a lot like quilting too and like that is um there's so much there's so much there that I've never thought about before but just in terms of like how we tend to things and people and like the wilderness of ourselves etc etc like there's just there's a lot there um and I think that your your book really gets at that and brings that to life thank you I think everything really is everything like it's so true and I mean that fascinated me as well like you know, flowers and how they bloom and cancer, the, the way a cancer cell looks magnified is so floral. And it's, and it's, it reproduces the same way that cells do when you're, when you're making a baby, it's the same process. It's just at a different speed or more out of control. And so those parallels are always so evident to me all the time. Like it's just kind of superpower, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I was so wanting to to tell people that that to, I think that's really maybe the underpinnings of my form of storytelling is like you know the same way of course comics are music of course flowers or cancer are also whatever else I imagine they are like it's it's the way that I see the world and clearly you do too yeah, I think we yeah. all do I think there are I mean <laughs> nature is phenomenal like it just repeats itself blood vessels look like tree um branches what is that about right absolutely it's, just, it's wondrous it's truly wondrous i i i think about also sort of like that you know i there's a lot of ideas and i think that they are sort of slowly fading and going out of fashion that there are like specific ways to grieve mm. um and that there are specific permissions around how long one should grieve I think we're letting go of that a little bit, um, but obviously not quickly enough. Um, and, I, you know, this is, I think, you know, this is one of the first books that really, I, I believe, sort of like creates, um, creates a, sort of like a visual, uh, like a visual artscape that replicates that really like tangly, tormented, joyous, thing that is remembering people we've lost you know yes I love those words tangly and tormented much like vines <laughs> in a garden yes you know yes. inseparable mm -hmm. right you can't you can't pick out what is what sometimes it all tangles together yeah yeah and grief you know yeah. I, I wasn't finding place for my grief 
which was another reason I turned to doing, I'm, I'm an artist, so that's how I process everything. Um, but this particular like giant body of work was really a kind of a house I built around myself to, um, to be able to go to when I needed to process these intersections and everything that had happened. You know, I I also I'm like a community gal. I'm a dyke and I'm a feminist. So I was like all ready to find my people and my support groups. And at the time, and I think this has changed, there was very little. Um, my the midwife I was working with even said, "I'm sorry that there's there are no resources. Like there's nowhere I can send you to to deal with your with your grief." Um, and that just seemed incredible to me. And it, yeah, there's just so much silence around grieving in general, but specifically miscarriage is even it's a it's it's the same taboo as death but it's like a death that occurs inside of your body and you're carrying it around with you and and all of the traditions around being pregnant um sort of lead you into this silence you're not supposed to tell people you're pregnant till you're three months in you know past the first trimester and that's sort of to protect everybody around you but it leaves you without anybody understanding why you're so bummed out all the time right uh, it's really it's really unfair the way the way people who get pregnant have to carry this this around and it's common miscarriage and infertility are as common as birth so I couldn't understand where all the silence was coming from yeah so I, I hope I did my part to shatter some of that I absolutely think so I mean I and I feel like often and and I think the book really gets at this is that like <sighs> creating a culture of silence around something um you know we we know that that is is really never about protecting the person okay. who is coping with the actual thing it's about really sort of like uh, keeping a lot of other people um sort of free of accountability and free of sort of participation in sort of like you know it's it doesn't do anyone any good a culture of silence you know Agreed. it just it doesn't allow for healing of any kind. And we we have a problem with death. This culture does. Our, our North American culture was very like, you know, it's again, again with nature and it's all, it's natural. Like death is natural. Death is part of everything. It's really present all the time. And we do everything we can to pave over it and to ignore it and pretend it's not happening. And, and again, I think this is changing as well. I think there are, there are, you know, um, I guess moves being made towards, looking at death more but in general there's not a lot of room there's not a lot of room and I mean I I mean this is awful but I do think the pandemic has to change our relationship Mm. to grief and death like it just it just has to since it's a global event uh that you know we I mean or at least I hope it does I don't know if it will but I hope it does yeah 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 there's lots of possibility I think anytime that kind of disruption happens for their be positive change or to be change of any kind so I hope so too I also wanted to talk like I mean I know that we've talked a lot about like um a lot of things around sort of how the how you sort of came to create the visual style for the book but I also just I like I'm so fascinated by um how much of the book feels like there are some small roots in like zine culture and I feel like we haven't really, I've read a lot of interviews with you around the book so far, but I haven't really seen that talked about very much. And I wonder if you have a relationship to zine culture yourself. Yes. 
So in the 90s, I was not, I, I made one zine about the very first time I got my period. Um, and that was the end of my zine career. I loved the idea of zines being comics that were like easily publishable. I mean, that was before the internet, right? So that whole idea that you could go to the photocopy shop and make something and hand it out to people was wonderful. Um, but yeah, I I see the collage work as more collagey or quilty. And I think that's what people are identifying. I think there's generational ways people will identify with the book or will sort of vision the book. Vision's a weird word. Like will interpret the book. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's come up a couple of times and I'm quite flattered because, um, you know, I think zines are fabulous, but I don't have a huge background in zine making. So... Well, I mean, yeah, so many sort of like so many great things sort of are found within this, like, because I feel like you just you go through so many styles and and you play with forms of memoir and you play with forms of like comic arts and you play with forms of folk arts and 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 painting and the collage and found text and your own text. It's is is there found text or is it just your own text? Because it feels like there's some other texts too i think that i definitely yeah like i found text from the bible and uh yeah <laughs> and yeah yeah so and uh text from uh children's uh the secret garden uh i quote yeah i do quote when i feel need i need to quote things and i had to i sort of played with some song lyrics so that i wouldn't get sued i changed them up a bit but there are yes. fragments of of music and and literature and stuff in there for sure yeah yeah. The there are some of I think the most like beautiful written lines throughout the book and I'm wondering if we can go through a couple of them um and maybe you can talk a little bit about them if you feel like and if you don't that's fine sure. too. Let me no, know. that's I I think it's amazing when people take the trouble to find their favorite lines and then say them back to me. It's I'm still <laughs> like wow, that's amazing. Let's do that. <laughs> Well, I I make I made a lot of notes of different lines. I won't read them all to you, but anyway. Um, but uh, my father just di- uh, my father died just when spring was swinging open like a gate. So beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So beautiful. I, you know, and I think that sets up that juxtaposition right away. Uh, you know, I, summer means everything to me. Spring. I'm really like a summer spring person or spring summer person. I wait for that the you know the increase of light and and flowers, you know, all over the place and color and the way everything suddenly has like more smell. And so, yeah, that juxtaposition of his demise and his dying at that same exact moment when, you know, the world was opening up again was, uh, I think it kind of set the tone for what I was about to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And your dad seems like an incredibly cool, cool person. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was pretty amazing. I, I, you know, I, poor guy. When I first came out as a feminist, I was like a 14, 15 year old, you know, and I discovered there was this thing called the patriarchy and I fully blamed him for it. Like I gave him hell. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. Anyway, he was um, he was amazing. He was really quite gentle and sensitive. And um, uh, he always he always brought the things he loved to us to back to the family and and the things he loved were, you know, literature and poetry and music and musicals and dance and theater. He was a really passionate um, consumer of culture. And uh, I think, you know, he he also, you know, he 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 would he was a singer uh, and he also wrote. And I think his real aspiration 
were he not sort of in this position in his family to be the the person who would make money and lift everybody out of poverty uh he was the first generation canadian his mom came over from russia uh fleeing pogroms and just missed the second world war um i think i think if he hadn't had that setup he probably would have pursued a career in the arts as well so he always yeah. like you know encouraged that in me and i never felt that um that this that the realm of the arts was anything less than absolutely imperative um and yeah uh, yeah so he really brought that brought that to me he was a really lovely generous kind quiet man yeah yeah that's really beautiful um i and i think like i don't know like i i feel like this this book does such a beautiful job of sort of like honoring the relationship that like you had together and that you shared while also sort of really like um like showing us how that can be sort of like a foundation for what you wanted for your own parenting journey yeah yeah for sure you know both my parents like come with me in my in how I parent and I think we all reflexively parent the way we were parented like you just can't help it you just kind of snap into like I can't count the times that I am my parents you know, sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not. Mostly it's good. I had great parents, have great parents. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I did, I did carry some of that through. And, you know, the, the character of my, of my kid is really um, lovely in the book as well. And I didn't kind of know that I was going to go there. Like I didn't, I knew I wanted to talk about the infertility thing and I knew I wanted to talk about death. But I didn't know how much stretching this project over 11 years because that was how I had to make it because I was working and because I was raising a kid um would would inform the story itself and so Max's character growing up and you know really growing up and becoming a person with their own gender identity and their own sexuality was really um a lovely kind of another juxtaposition that I found where I could look back on I mean I love that part where I'm walking back through my my young girlhood with him mm-hmm. and he's just like what what the hell like so like <laughs> his eyes are just like what you know he's just trying to get away from it all I can't believe it right um, yeah there's there's really nothing as real as when Max says that there are um there are just things in his life that you're never gonna know yeah it's not your movie yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was at that juncture that I started to realize I can't tell his stories anymore. Like when you have a little kid, you know, he, he would come when he was really little and like get in my lap and he'd draw on my drawing board and sometimes he'd draw on my drawings. And when I could, I would integrate that into my work. And, you know, that was beautiful and wondrous and a great thing. But then there, there comes a point where it's like, this is a person. I mean, they're all children are people too, but there's a point where I, it became really obvious to me that I had to be really aware of not speaking for him and not telling his stories and so yeah he tells me that in the book where he's just like I don't care how much you think it's fun to talk about my life it's not yours and yeah that was a a conscious decision too at that point I stopped seeing him that way as somebody whose stories I could integrate into mine it was like well okay I mean I think it's I think it's a really beautiful thing to model for so many people because there are lots of folks who, you know, honestly, whether it's their child or not, yeah. feel it's they're fine to tell other people's stories, you know, and it's just um, it's very different to make space 
for other people to tell their stories than you just telling someone else's story. Agreed. And as a person who writes memoir, there's so many layers to that. Like you have to always be thinking about like, this is just my version of this story. I mean, this story involves other people. And if you ask them to tell it, there would be a completely different perspective. And so it's there's a lot of generosity that I encountered in in having people in my life let me tell the story from my perspective. But there's, yeah, an absolute danger in thinking that there's only one story or there's only one way to tell a story or, you know, especially for marginalized people. Like, I am absolutely not the lesbian spokesperson for infertility of people who are parenting <laughs> trans children. Like, I, there are so yeah. many. Uh, I, I hope this makes room for multiplicity of voice and uh, that we move away from this concept of, you know, this monolithic story that everybody, you know, everybody wants to hear the marginalized story. There is none. There are so many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I thought about that a lot because, you know, in the book, you mentioned a couple of different times about, um, you know, just like your own experiences with like erasure and sort of like a longer queer history of erasure within um, fertility and pregnancy and, you know, just, and I was thinking about like, this book does so many things but it like writes into history, it writes into a public record, um, your story, uh, you know, and and all the intersections of your identity now have a space where like they exist publicly. Yeah, that is that's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. I haven't experienced that before in this capacity. It's pretty incredible to feel, yeah, that permanence that I have both just personally found a place to put down my grief um, and explain this whole mess to myself, including the good parts <laughs> and the joy and the passion and <laughs> the desire, you know? Um, yeah. But also that it is, that it's, it's adding to the story of what it means to be, to be a person experiencing infertility, to be, you know, to be a femme lesbian, all, you know, be Jewish and, Oh, and, and there's so many intersections of privilege and marginalization in my life. I, you know, I felt like I was really privileged to be raising a child as I was longing to be pregnant. So that mm -hmm. I, you know, I wanted to express that as well. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's, you know, and I'm still oh, a white woman. So there's, you yeah, know, that, yeah. that's, that's a story we've heard many, many times. So I just hope there's more room. There's more that the doors that are opening to me that wouldn't have opened before will open even further to more people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a few more lines that I want to visit with you just before we, we wrap up. Um, I really, I love, love, love uh, about lip stain is the subtlest form of drama. What? Mwah, chef's kiss of a line thank you um. i love how much you understand that i love that that's the best part of like this book getting out into the world is i would never get to talk to you it's so amazing to to find people who understand that um i also really uh i love all my shards are glued together wrong like that and i feel like that you know you 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 sort of evoke that like visually in different places, but like, you don't, it doesn't seem like shards. Cause like it's, it's your, I think your drawings are, are like, um, a bit softer, right? Like soft. there's like, it's, there's not like that. There's not like that harsh jaggedness of, of a shard. A shard is like so specific. Yeah. Um, but it's so wonderful to see those words, you know, sort of like in, enveloped and also in contrast 
um, with sort of the the I don't know the 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 drawings I, and and the artwork. Like I think it's really it's a beautiful juxtaposition. Thank you. That's so beautiful. Thank you for noticing all of that. I think that there's a brittleness to early grief too. Um, you know, you you feel hard and you do feel sharp. Like you feel like you've fallen on the floor and you've broken in these really sharp ways that are dangerous and can cut you. Um, yeah. But yeah, there is a pull. Like the I I did look at my work a while ago and think, wow, it's also soft. Like it's also rounded. I don't. And when I do have angular lines, I'm very deliberate in the same way as I use color in the beginning. Um, there are times when I pulled out my ruler and it was on purpose. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of deliberate visual language in the book. I, th- I completely, yeah, I, I, I felt like, I felt like every, every single thing is so deliberate um, on so many levels. And, and I, and even like sort of there are moments where like, you know, my eyes are struggling to pull out words and, as someone who really, I suppose, privileges words above everything else just by virtue of being a writer, yeah. whatever. Um, and I would, in a, for a moment, I would get, like, frustrated and a little resentful, to be clear. Yeah. Um, not towards yeah. you, but just, like, thinking, like, oh, I want to read this word. And then I would just, like, let go of it. And just be like, this is the experience I'm supposed to have because this is what Shira wanted <laughs> me to have. And I have to just like listen to that, like, you know, and I have to let go of sort of like what I can't bring my own expectations into someone else's work. Like that's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so but it was really it was really wonderful then because it's like an extra layer of being drawn into what you're doing. It's a challenging book. It really makes you do things. I had to do a reading for an event uh, last week, and <laughs> I was bad at the book. I was like, fucking hell, what did I, how did I, like, you can read this four different ways, right? And it, it hurts. Like, you have to move your eyes around the page. Like, it's, a, it's, I think my experience of grieving was so physical that it just came through. Like, I, it's a physical book. It's a physical interaction with it. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it's demanding. And I can, I mean, I think that that's really beautiful that you could be a sort of pissed at it and also kind of go, all right, well, I'm going to take a deep breath and try again or like it's it's a really I think books are so intimate and so um, you know it's so different than going to see a show in a gallery I could have made this as a body of work and shown it in a show but that sort of like the way books can live with you and the way you can say I'm mad at you right now book I'm going to put you down for a while until I feel like coming back or maybe I'm not going to come back like that relationship to the work is really uh, a lovely thing for me to experience I feel like I've kind of found a home for my work in books it feels right whereas galleries yeah. never felt exactly right to me and the extensions well, think, are interesting yeah go on yeah for sure and I think like I mean I can see I can see huge I can imagine huge installations of these mm-hmm. pages in galleries and that's that's fine that's a beautiful space to sort of like replicate that but I do think like the accessibility of a book yeah um, and a book being for everyone, uh, and the capacity to belong to everyone in so many different ways, it makes a lot of sense that this is like, you know, a, a, a place that you feel like you really belong. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's nice to find that. I struggled a lot with that early when I was just coming out of school with like, where do I, 
where do I want my work to be shown? How do I want to interface with the world? And predominantly, I just didn't. I was like, well, I don't know. You know, maybe I'll show once every 200 years and then go back to my house and sit quietly inside of it. Um, so yeah, it feels nice to, I, I love having audience. I love having, I love when you, when you so get about lip stain, that's just the best. It's, you know, I think we all really just want connection, right? I think that is the yeah. part of the drive. I mean, you write as well, right? So I think that is partly what we're doing, but yeah, it's so satisfying to, um, to, and especially in the pandemic to get to meet people and get to talk to other artists and to have that kind of really rich, beautiful feedback from other people who make work is just like amazing better than school I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well releasing a book in a pandemic is is its own challenge like I know that that's um it can't necessarily be exactly what you might have visioned for yourself well I didn't know what to vision really I mean and in some ways I'm a pretty neurotic nervous person so I'm right here you know in my bedroom sort of like squished up against the wall with my bed in front of me and that feels good like I can handle yeah. that <laughs> I'm not that's really perfect. sure that's, how I'd handle honestly, that's, that's great like, yeah that, it's, it feels a like better... a good way to kind of step out into the world like you know in inside of my house yeah no that's yeah. that's perfect that it makes is. sense yeah. um there's uh I've got a, just a couple more questions if that's okay yeah of course I can talk forever Okay. <laughs> um, there's a pretty significant break in form um, and sort of, you know, pretty painful disclosure mm. where you talk, uh, you know, you talk about sexual assaults. And um, there are two lines that I think are just so incredibly, um, incredibly devastating. Um, I was so easy to break into his hands lost all their kindness. Mm. And I think that those two lines probably mean a lot to countless people all over the world uh and you know I, i'm wondering if th did that piece exist previous to the book um or did you make it specifically for the book yeah that piece and it's funny nobody wants to talk about it so i really appreciate you bringing it forward um it's really significant to me like i feel like it's as large a narrative as the other ones in a sense or like it seems like it would be part of anybody's um uh, coming of age story. I mean, sexual assault is so prevalent, like miscarriage. Um, it's a story I never told anybody. I didn't tell my best friend when I was, I, I don't think I told her at the time. And I certainly didn't tell my wife of 20 years. I didn't tell my mom. Oh, wow. It's so odd. It came forward through making the book um, and I let it come forward. And the break in form is also deliberate. It uh, is such a different way of it's just a big chunk of text like there's no there's yeah. no effort to make it visual any more visual than it needs to be um yeah um I, yeah it was it was weird to 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 uh to do that but also it felt it felt right to to sort of disclose that to myself or to make or to like it's like it was like this festering thing that I never really taught I never yeah. talked about with myself and then so being able to tell myself that story and then knowing that you know the very first first person to read it I think was my editor was Gary Graw um and my agent Nikki Richardson yeah it was uh it, yeah but you know we talked earlier about the secrecy um yeah and you know keeping things secret and how it, it you know and actually also there's another part of the book where you talk about 
your your bubby not wanting to know about her how significant her cancer was yeah and how your mom kept that secret yeah, for her that's right. and that was that was a really beautiful line too um and it you know painful but like i i feel like i feel like there is this sort of continuum of grief that um you know you're the copy of the book tells us it's going to be about x y and z mm-hmm. and then we get sort of deeper into the book and we see and i think a lot of us will recognize so many different ways in which um grief and loss sort of hide yeah. in like in our bodies and and in the world yeah and how they attach to other griefs and losses i mean they're really sticky totally it's like if you're going to start excavating you find out that there are like a whole chain of things that come up you know um, so yeah, I, I felt like I had to, whatever, whatever I, I have this gross image of like pulling hair out of a drain that I can't stop thinking of, but it's just like that where you're like, ew, yeah. ew, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to get it out. Otherwise your drain is going to be blocked. So but yeah. But the other thing that you do, so I just, I am so struck by one of the things that this book does is that it doesn't shy away from a lot of graphic imagery. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so wonderful to see artwork that depicts bodies in so many different everyday states, like menstruating, orgasming, pregnant, miscarrying, just existing. Like, you know, there's so many different states in which you depict um, your body or like your your alter ego body, whatever, however you want to frame it. Um, And it was so refreshing to me to see just to, I don't know, just to see, just to see it and mm. just witness it. And like, I thought it was, uh, it was incredibly like, um, tender and intimate and, uh, and, but just factual. Yeah. Like yeah. it just normalizes it. Yeah. To it's see bodies. Totally right. Cause we all see our bodies. We've all looked down into our underwear a billion times. Yeah. And so why are there like, why aren't there more images like that? I'm not sure. There's some sort of taboo around all of that stuff but yeah thank you I'm glad that that came through but like when you're drawing like do you and and as you have sort of grown as an artist over over your lifetime like have you grown into sort of those depictions of bodies um like did you used to sort of shy away from it is it something that you have sort of grown into or is it something that you've always sort of like been interested in sort of um depicting the human form in like very realistic and also very like magically surreal ways I think I just try to depict I, I I don't go for likeness when I draw a person or myself I, I go for essence so I think it mm-hmm. was like my body changes form throughout the book you know I, I it's always sort of taking a different shape and I think it was just about needing to express a feeling and then how how that kind of comes through my hand somehow like without seeming too mystical or bizarre it's just sort of the way it the way it happens though it is a deliberate process and I did you know I mean I I also just think that like there needs to be more images of the things that it's just like my life right it's just my life um so the things that I think people think are like really incredulous or um brave are just my life and so and I think I forgot to have shame like I I have shame but (laughs) but I I have a lot of like um I I guess I'm a bit of an exhibitionist and also just I don't often like people are telling me like oh it's so brave and it's so honest and I'm like well it's just what it is right (laughs) like it's 
<laughs> you know, and I, and I recognize that there's bravery and there's honesty in the book. There is. Um, but it's, it's, it's literally the way I see things. So things change for me. Um, it's sort of the way that people are, you know, the, the way I find people attractive. It isn't necessarily about like, well, you know, you have this kind of face or these kind of, these kind of eyes. <laughs> it's it's about what how people animate themselves that I find attractive yeah. right so it's sort of like yeah. that it's like the essence of, of of our bodies and the essence of of being a person translates into those shapes for me I don't know that was a weird answer. yeah no no I think that's great and I think I think it actually is the sort of like lack of shame around the the form of all of the bodies in the book that is um most appealing to me mm-hmm. well you know? like sometimes I feel like I take off my clothes a lot but then I'm like I also take off my skin like I need to show you my organs as well so it's like whatever mm-hmm. whatever I had to do I did I was like well it's, it's necessary for you to see my bloody underwear right now like yeah to me that was really a big part of of the experience of not being pregnant was that punctuation yeah. of like all that waiting and all that wanting and then the blood coming again and again and all you know people who menstruate experience that every month you know or so yeah that there's a one there's one uh page I think it, it says beautiful and it's it's the page of looking down into my bloody underwear and I was very yeah. very delighted that I got like a little bit of that blood kind of darker or dried like it, it felt uh-huh. accurate to me it was like that's what the beginning of a period looked like and I come from a time of like you know commercials for for menstrual pads with the blue liquid right oh for sure so yeah that does feel like important and just just bodies right our body like again with the taboos about like our leaky bodies like they leak they do things we all do them why are we so ashamed it's weird well i mean would we have capitalism without shame you're right you're right Um. you're right really what i'm and and it's glad i'm glad you pointed that out because i feel like the fault of everything is capitalism i feel like if we could just eradicate that then we would be in a much better place art would be in a much better place let's absolutely a thousand percent (laughs) (laughs) maybe uh yeah like i mean that that can just be like as we form a pen pal relationship we'll just send each other postcards about capitalism and how we can defeat it (laughs) so many good conversations for our future um we are sisters (laughs) so i do have to probably wrap it up but i just wanted to give you like a chance like is there anything else that you want to say about your book i mean it's a debut 11 years in the making it's so beautiful it is uh it really is a complete and utter disruption of form and what we think about i think uh, a lot of times when we think about graphic novels and and cartooning and and comics so is there anything that you want to add that we haven't talked about we've talked about everything and you've been an amazing interviewer i really appreciate the depth that you've brought to these questions I mean, I just, I really hope that the book um, opens doors for, for more, more stories, just more and more and more stories and more silence breaking. And uh, I threw everything I had into this project and, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Well, I think you did an amazing job. Yeah. So thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. And I know that um, it, this will stay with me for the rest of my life. Thank you, Andrea. That's really sweet. Well, thank you so much. Um, I don't know how they want us to wrap it up. So let's just uh, say like, it was really nice to talk to you. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye.